Grab yourself a Bailey's and hot chocolate and listen to the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Once again, Decoder Ring Theater presents another page from the casebook of that master of mystery, that sultan of sleuthing, Martin Bracknell's immortal detective, Black Jack Justice, starring Christopher Mott as Jack and Andrea Lyons as Trixie Dixon, girl detective. The name's Justice. Jack Justice. They say all's fair in love and war. Just like everything they say, a little context usually helps. A fellow almost never makes use of that old saw unless he's just done something monumentally unfair, usually in neither of those exalted states, but somewhere in the vastness between them. Like, say, the industrial meatpacking industry. Trixie and I had just spent two weeks on a case for the owner of the largest rendering plant in the city limits. A good detective is a little rough around the edges. Our client, Harvey Benton, made me look like an English lord. The work wasn't bad and the pay was all right. I just wondered how long it was going to take to get the smell out of my hair and clothes. I knew I'd never eat sausages again, that was for darn sure. We'd closed out the case early that evening, collected our pay an hour later, all in cash. And in that respect, Mr. Benton was a class act, and settled into our spacious digs to dot the T's and cross the I's. I was walking back to the office at nine o'clock that Tuesday night, with a fresh pack of cigarettes for myself and a ham sandwich for her ladyship, when I almost tripped over a shapeless grey object in my path. I stepped around it and walked just a few steps further, drawing my raincoat tighter around my neck. The shape moved just a little. I turned and looked more closely. I squinted into the driving rain, and the shapeless grey mass resolved itself into a raincoat. It took a moment's investigation to be sure that whoever had thrown out a perfectly good raincoat had taken the trouble to throw out its owner at the same time. He was maybe twenty, twenty-two. He'd taken a few lumps, but he didn't look like he'd made a habit of it. I looked at the kid lying there, mostly out cold on the rain-slicked sidewalk. I looked around. No one else in sight. I looked back at the kid. Didn't look like a bum. Didn't smell like a drunk. I looked up at the sky which was stupid because it was pitch dark and I got raindrops smack in both eyes. I shook my head and looked back at the kid. It was hard to tell for the shadows, but there looked to be some swell bruises forming all right. I reached for what was left of the damp rag of a smoke I'd kept smoldering in the corner of my mouth and pitched it into the gutter. I shoved the bag with Trixie's sandwich into my left coat pocket. It's possible that I sighed, but there was no one around to swear to it. The name's Dixon. Trixie Dixon, girl detective. There are few things that please me more in this world than a nice, orderly case. Couple weeks on a walking tour of romantic abattoirs in the area wasn't my idea of a swell time, but it'd pay the bills for a good while yet. And it was worth it to watch Jack squirm. I'd never pegged old Squarejaw for a softy. I'd finally asked him how he could be so squeamish on behalf of pigs and cows after all the things he'd seen. What about the war, I'd ask? Give the pigs a rifle, is all he said. Jack liked a fair fight. If that wasn't why he'd become a Seamus, I was no closer to figuring it out. Another hour or so and I reckoned we'd be set to call it a night. I was prepared to be persuaded to throw it in early if he was prepared to buy a girl a drink, but I wasn't about to advertise that. The building was quiet. I could hear the elevator door open. I could hear footsteps in the hall, a big man's footsteps. Like Jack's, but... but slower and favoring one side. 
I reached into my bag and came up with a Beretta. There was no sense taking chances. The footsteps got closer. I gripped the cool steel tighter. There were two possibilities. One, Jack had been hurt somehow and was half walking, half dragging himself back to the office. Or two, that wasn't Jack out there getting closer to our office by the second. The knob turned. I held the Beretta under the desk and slipped the safety off. The door kicked open and there stood Jack. I looked at him standing there with an unconscious man tucked under his right arm, the two of them soaking wet. It occurred to me there was a third possibility. Jack had picked up a stray. He followed me home. Can I keep him? If I say no, will it stop you from putting him on the sofa? No. Then knock yourself out. That all you got to say? No. Where's my sandwich? What? Oh, here. I don't know how you can eat that today. Don't start. I asked for mayonnaise. What'd he give you? Mustard. What's his story? Who? Who? The drowned rat on the sofa. Who else? You could have meant Max at the deli. Which was the more likely scenario? I don't want to argue about this. I'm making coffee. He looks like he'll need it. Who is he? No idea. Check for a wallet. Explain one thing to me. Because no one else was going to, that's why. Fair enough. Find anything? Driver's license. Tom Albright, 42 Albany. He's out of his neighborhood. Who isn't? He's also waking up. Where where am I? Take it easy, kid. Where am I? Who are you? Hey, hey. Relax, Junior. Who are you? I'm Jack Justice. Detective. Private. This is my partner, Miss Dixon. What am I doing here? Dripping on the sofa. If you'd rather go back and lie face down in the puddle I found you in, you're perfectly welcome. If you'd prefer not to get pneumonia, you could hang your coat by the radiator there and wait for the coffee to be ready. Here's a towel. You brought me here? You catch on quick, Slick. Trixie, why don't you get Mr. Albright a warm-up from the office bottle? How do you know my name? Some fool wrote it there on your driver's license. You're a little jumpy, kid, if you don't mind me saying so. Yeah. Well, maybe I got reason to be. Maybe you do. Here you go, Mr. Albright. Oh, gosh. I don't drink. Learn real fast. Well, all right. Nice. I'll hang your coat over here. The coffee will be ready in a minute. Why are you helping me? Sometimes that's just kind of what we do. You're detectives, you say? We do say, yes. What about you, Tom? What do you do to get yourself beaten half to death and left out in the rain? What's that? Oh, those fellas. I expect they were trying to rob me. Mm Mm-hmm. The watch on your wrist and the $14 in your wallet say otherwise. Oh. Well, what's it to you, anyway? Just making conversation. You're obviously handling things your way. How's that working out for you? You don't have to tell us a thing. You'll be dry soon enough, and you can leave whenever you like. Coffee? Thanks. Say, that's awfully good. Thanks, I get that a lot. Well, Tom? I don't know if I should. What's her name? What's that? Assuming one doesn't mean to kill a man, and they obviously didn't since you're sitting here, there's only one reason to keep hitting him once he looks half as bad as you do. Why is that? Because he keeps getting up. Not many things make a man take that kind of punishment. So what's her name? Doris. Doris. Nice name, Doris. Yeah. Pretty name. Yeah. Pretty girl? The prettiest. Tell us about it. You've got kind of a funny way about you, you know that? Thanks. Was it Doris that hit you? Of course not. Good. Because I'd hate to meet her sister if she did. Of course she never hit me. Doris and me are in love. Of course you are. We are too. We believe you, Tom. But how did you get from point A, being boy meets girl, to point B, being boy meets sidewalk? I guess it couldn't do any harm. I don't know where to begin. The beginning usually makes for a straightforward narrative, but I'm not a stickler for it. Where did you meet her? At the Snapdragon. The nightclub? Yeah. You're a pretty high roller, kid. No, I just work there. Waiter? 
piano player. I met her a month ago. She came in with Rocco D'Angelo's party. Rocky Angel. Trix, hand me that bottle, would you? You know, he's a gangster, don't you, Tom? They call him the Angel of Death. I heard. His boys and him come in pretty often. They always have a lot of girls hanging around. Mostly eye candy. You know how these guys are. One day she came in. With a girlfriend of hers who was a friend of D'Angelo's. Just hanging around, you know. And I guess we got to talking. She's not from around here. Small town girl on her own in the big city. You know how it is. Sure. I know how it is. These guys are taking up the best tables in the place, throwing money around, and here she is off talking to a poor piano player. Anyway, I couldn't stop thinking about her. And I guess the feeling was mutual, because she kept coming back. In fact, I think she kept hanging around with her friend just so she could keep stopping by. She'd sit at my piano and smile at me. I'd make up silly words to the songs that I was playing and sing them quietly so only she could hear. Kid. Sorry. Let me guess. Rocco saw that her affections lay elsewhere and immediately became interested himself, yes? Something like that. She returned the favor? No, I told you we're in love. But Rocco put a stop to that. Tonight. Outside the club. He told me to stay away from Doris. Then his boys told me a few extra times for good measure. They all piled into cars and went out to the Serpent's Tooth. She didn't want to go. I've got to get her away from him somehow. I've got to do something. That's right. You've got to do something, and you've got to do it good. You're about to take on a vicious criminal. A man with money and power the like of which an honest man can never hope to have. A man with an awful short temper and an even longer reach. And you're going to do it for a girl you've known for a month. You know what you've got to do? What? You've got to ask yourself a question, kid. Is she worth dying for? Or do you just hate to lose? You are listening to Blackjack Justice from DecoderRingTheater.com. I don't know what you might have heard, but there just aren't that many opportunities for a girl detective to wear her little red dress. It's a practical profession, and even when it doesn't require speed or maneuverability, it almost always involves a certain amount of blending in. Blending in is exactly what I was not doing at the Serpent's Tooth nightclub. Stopping traffic would be a more accurate description, and I'd spent enough time in sensible shoes that I'd almost forgotten I could do it. I still didn't know how Jack planned on getting into the exclusive club where notorious gangster Rocco D'Angelo had taken the lady love of... of some piano player Jack had found in a puddle. In fact, my sensible shoes would have wanted to know what we were doing, why we were doing it, and who was supposed to be paying us. But they were lying in disarray somewhere between my front door and my closet, and my prowling shoes didn't care. There are certain advantages to not blending in if you do it right. You can walk into any nightclub anywhere, and no one will think about stopping you. And if you want to make your way into the powder room that Rocky Angel's girls are occupying, you can. Why, sure you can. When you get to the gorilla at the door, just walk straight at him. Meet his eyes at first. Hold them just a little too long, then slowly let your eyelids fall. Let a shy smile creep across your face. Look up at him again as you draw close to the door. Look as if he were made of ice cream and smelled like flowers. Then just breeze on by. 
Sure, the technique is not without its risks, but I had the Beretta in my bag and a snub-nosed thirty-eight strapped to my thigh. Jack called it the mousetrap. I pretended I didn't think that was funny. In any case, it wasn't needed. The gorilla's ears turned bright red, and he looked down at his shoes like a shy little boy. That monster hadn't blushed in I don't know how long. I guess I still had it. For pity's sake, Doris, pull yourself together already. How can you say that? Every girl here's been trying to catch Rocco's eye for I don't know how long, and now you've gone and done it, and you're bawling your eyes out. I don't understand you. But what they did to poor Tommy serves him right. Should have known better than to make eyes at Rocco D'Angelo's girl. I am not his girl. No, and you never will be if you don't pull yourself together. Thelma, do you think that they, they killed Tommy? Aw, oh, don't worry, sweetheart. Rocky kills a lot of people. It'll be okay. <laughs> all right. Pull yourself together once and for all. If Rocco sees you carrying on like this, he'll probably give you what he gave your piano player, or worse. I'll stall for you as long as I can, but you dry those eyes out and come out with a big, pretty smile. Understand? <laughs> Understand? Yes. All right. I'm going. Hey, watch it, sister. I beg your pardon. I should say so. Well, you must be Doris. What? How? You answer a description. I do. Yeah, Serpent's Tooth has a snazzy clientele. Very upscale, not very upright. There can't be more than three or four pretty cornfed ingenues in the joint crying their eyes out over a poor piano player. Tommy, is he all right? Where is he? And who are you? Zero to jealous in five seconds flat. You must love him too. Of course I do. Oh, you've just got to tell me he's all right. He's not going to win any beauty pageants for a few weeks, but he's more or less in one piece. Yeah, my partner found him. Your partner? Who are you anyway? Trixie Dixon, girl detective. Listen, that gorilla outside the door. A hatchet? Hatchet? Great. I suppose cupcake was too much to ask for. Would he have followed D'Angelo's malls back to the table, or is he still out here waiting for you? Rocco told him to not let me out of his sight. Swell. Miss Dixon, do you mind me asking what's going on? That depends on you, sweet pea. It's a rescue if you'd like one. A rescue? Is Tommy here? Tommy's in pretty bad shape, kitten. And Rocky Angel's men will shoot him like a dog if they see him. Nice sort of playmates you fell in with. Well, Thelma, she lives in my rooming house. She palled around with them for a while, and nothing bad ever happened to her. Well, you don't have that kind of luck. D'Angelo's decided that you belong to him. There's only two ways to deal with that: go along with it or disappear permanently. Disappear. I'm here 'cause old Square Jaw dragged your piano player in out of the rain, and we felt sorry for him. But if you decide not to kiss the Frog Prince, it's not like I'm about to leave you here to be that bulldog's new chew toy. I don't understand. How we play this depends on you. Once you leave this place, you've got to get out of town and stay there. Any family? No, my parents have passed on. Good. I mean, oh, never mind what I mean. Are you and your partner going to fix it so that I can be with Tommy? Is that what you want? More than anything. All right. That window. Reach up and open it. But it's too small to get through. You're not going through, but they'll think you have. That might buy us a little time. Wait two minutes, then walk out that door and head for the kitchen. But what about Hatchet? In two minutes, Hatchet won't be anywhere near that door. Don't look at me like that. He's not gonna catch me, but he's sure gonna try. Your partner's in the kitchen? Well, he's sure not coming in the front door of this place. Not with his suit. Keep your left hand closed and a fist in your right hand on your left elbow. That's how he'll know you. Tell him it's Plan A. 
What's plan A? That's the happily ever after option. No, I mean, what is plan A? I'm hoping by the time you get there, he'll have thought one up. Walking Doris out the back door of the Serpent's Tooth wasn't the hard part. I left her in the care of our old pal, Freddy the Finger Hawthorne. He was to drive her to her apartment and wait there while she put anything she couldn't live without into two suitcases. He was then to drive her to the bus station, where Tom Albright and his six black eyes were waiting with two suitcases of his own. They were to buy two tickets to nowhere in particular, and when they got there, to buy another two and keep moving. Buses, trains, planes... None of them would help if a guy like Rocky Angel really wanted them found. This was the real trick. Not just rescuing the fair damsel, keeping her alive. Both of them, ideally. They had to get far away from the city, cut all their ties to their old lives, and live on love, if you believe in that sort of thing. They seemed to. But none of it amounted to anything unless there was a very good reason for no one to look for them. For this, I needed Trixie. But Lady Doris had been swept away by Sir Frederick the Cowardly some fifteen minutes earlier, and my partner had yet to materialize in the alley where I awaited her in a late model sedan she'd never seen before. Trixie, over here. You're late. What's with the car? The car. It's a form of horseless carriage used for transportation. Wise guy. The doe-eyed little girl we rescued from a fate worse than death said you were running interference with a gorilla named Hatchet. I almost busted in after you. Edward. I'm sorry? His name is Edward. They just call him Hatchet. Trixie. Well, we got to talking. He's actually not a bad conversationalist. For a guy named Hatchet. You know, just because a man is big and strong doesn't mean he can't be sweet and sensitive. Yes, but we're not talking about me right now. Jack. Can I just point out he's a gangster? Not a very good one. That's hardly the point. Look, we talked a little, and if D'Angelo doesn't kill him for letting his new pet get away, maybe I'll call him. And when exactly are they going to notice that? Did you leave the window open into the alley? Sure. But what are we still doing here? We've got in and out without being made. Shouldn't we scram? You'd think that, wouldn't you? Here, put this on. Isn't this Doris's hat? Yeah, I borrowed it. Button up your overcoat. You'll never pass for a farm girl in that dress. What are you up to, Justice? Is that Tom Albright's coat? That's right. And here's his hat. There they are. Down the alley. Looks like we've been spotted. Into the car, Doris. What are we doing? Rocco D'Angelo would never be able to live with a slight like this. He'd hunt these kids down wherever they went. So what are we doing? Killing them. I think I hate this plan. There's a car behind us, coming up fast. Try not to let them get a good look at you. I'll let them tail us for a while, then build up a good lead when we get close to the bridge. Jack! Or I could just go ahead and lose them right here. This crate really moves. Is it Tom Albright? Nah, they don't pay piano players like that in this town. We needed some fast wheels to pull this one off. That's where Freddy came in. Freddy? Nice to see he came in useful. I'm going to tell him you said that. Hold on! Careful, Jack! These wet roads are dangerous. That's the idea. Tom Albright, local musician of no renown, fleeing from gangsters in a stolen car at high speeds, met with a sudden and tragic end last night. What are you talking about? Tomorrow's headline. Have we lost them yet? It's clear behind us. Good. Hold on. It sounds like a simple plan, but when you're in the passenger seat, it's not nearly simple enough. Jack squealed the tires hard, left skid marks right up to the steep bank into the valley by the bridge. We jumped out... Jack fixed something near the gas tank, which he didn't bother to explain was an incendiary device, and together he pushed the car down the slope. It rolled twice. The gas tank blew, and it rolled the rest of the way into the river. From the nearby warehouse where we holed up, we could see Rocky Angel's boys find the scene, then John Law and all his blue orchestra. Jack was right about the headlines. The cops found a man's jacket with Tom Albright's wallet in it, and a lady's hat halfway down the hill. 
Doris' name never came into it, but we knew the heat was off. And I never did call Hatchet. Just in case Jack was right about that, too. Freddy saw the kids off all right, and paid no never mind to where they were headed, just like I told him. The best way to get Freddy to do anything was to tell him it was for his own safety. We'd known Tom Albright for a couple of hours. Probably wouldn't recognize him without his bruises. Doris? We never even knew her last name. The whole thing was over before we knew it, and we didn't make a dime. But it made up for two weeks of slaughterhouses and expense reports. It put the kind of smile on both our faces that neither one of us will ever admit to, because it doesn't pay to do what's right just because it's right. Or maybe sometimes it does. We got a letter a year later, postmarked somewhere in Ohio, but the letter said they'd mailed it to a friend to mail for them. It was from our boy and his girl. Said they were married and living in a little town we'd never heard of. Tom was working and gave piano lessons. There was a baby on the way. There were promises made regarding its name that probably never came to pass. Still, that letter was the nicest fee we ever got, even if I didn't let on that I thought so. Rocco D'Angelo thought he held all the cards. He didn't even bother to play the game the way most people understand it, the deck had been stacked for so long. But there's nothing more satisfying than cheating a cheat. After all, all's fair in love and war. Blackjack Justice, Episode 11, Justice in Love and War, was written and directed by Greg Taylor and starred Christopher Mott and Andrea Lyons, with additional voices supplied by Shannon Arnold, Julie Florio, and Greg Taylor. This recording and the story, characters, and situations depicted within are the property of their author and creator and protected by copyright. Until next time, remember, DecoderRingTheater.com is your address to adventure. tried new, improved dromedary cigarettes? Smokers all over the country are singing the praises of D-R-O-M-E-D-A-R-Y, dromedary cigarettes, the smoke with only one hump. Ask a dromedary smoker and he'll tell you that dromedaries are a light smoke, easy on the draw and easy on the throat. Here's one now. Sir? Sir, are you a dromedary smoker? Yes, I smoke between two and three packs of dromedary a day, and I find them to be very easy on the draw and easy on my throat. And how long have you been smoking dromedary, sir? Since I was 16 years old. Well, the makers of dromedary cigarettes thank you for your many faithful years of business, sir. And how old are you now? 17. Remember, friends, dromedary cigarettes are easy on the draw, easy on the throat, and not a cough in a cartoon. Sorry, that's carton. Dromedary cigarettes, the smoke with only one hump. Not a cough in a cartoon. That's carton. D-R-O-M-E-D-A-R.